Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. There was a little girl who lived in Australia. Now, of course, there's more than one little girl living in Australia, but never mind. And this little girl used to listen to a famous American preacher on the radio. And after some weeks, she'd been listening to him all this time, she ran out into the kitchen one day and called out to her mother, 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 I've discovered who Santa Claus is. God is Santa Claus. Now we all smile, but you know, there seems to be today quite a few Christians who seem to think that God is Santa Claus. And while it is true that God blesses us in many, many wonderful ways, it is also true that God does not remove every trial and problem that comes to us. And over the next few weeks, I want to share with you some Bible stories that make this very clear. And today, please let's turn with us, or turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians and chapter 12. Now, I'm glad that God isn't like that, because quite frankly, I couldn't serve a God who could be manipulated into giving me everything that I wanted. Chapter 12 and verse 7. Now in the previous verses and chapter, Paul is boasting about what God has done for him. And here in verse 7 he says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations and blessings, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And most theologians believe that this was poor eyesight and there are texts that happened to back that up but we'll look at that some other time and then in verse 8 three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me but God said no no Paul my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. No bed of roses here for Paul. Now, why didn't God heal in this instance? Well, the Bible tells us at least three reasons. Number one, to stop him from becoming conceited. Number two, in chapter one of this Second Corinthians uh, book, of, uh, book, Paul said, because God comforts me in all my troubles, I can comfort you in yours. And it's much easier to sympathize with others, isn't it, if we have had troubles. And then 
Thirdly, a thorn not removed gives God the opportunity to display his grace and power in our lives. And that's why Christians can say with Paul, as he did at the end of verse 10, for when I am weak, a miracle of grace keeps me strong. give today a very special welcome to every person here, Pastor and Mrs. Howard especially and their family, Dr. White and his family. We give a very special welcome to our viewers on Three Angels Broadcasting Network and the other networks. 
And we want to thank the members of the Community Adventist Fellowship who've joined us today for this special time of worship. Today, I'm going to speak on the topic, why Jesus wasn't religious, in the way most people understand the term religious, and what he said and what he did about salvation for lost, hurting souls. What Jesus taught about sin, forgiveness, and starting again. Contrary to what most people think when they hear the name Jesus, Jesus was not a religious person as most people understand religion or being religious. Jesus had a habit of doing outlandish things as far as his critics were concerned. Jesus had a name for being a party-goer. In fact, his critics called him a wine-bibber, a party-goer, and a friend of sinners. Jesus seemed to enjoy the companionship of sinners as they enjoyed his companionships. Therefore, he was not a religious person. Jesus had a unique group of people who followed him. The people who followed Jesus were not churchy people like us. <laughs> the people who followed Jesus were fishermen, rather rough people, they were, and also Jesus had, may I mention this very softly, he had a following of women. And some of those women had unsavory reputations. Also, Jesus did most of his preaching out of doors. He did not have the luxury of a beautiful church that was air-conditioned and a distinguished-looking reverent congregation. So he preached mainly out of doors. He did not receive his theological education from the church. Jesus never went to the seminary. His teaching was God and his mother. He was not at all religious. What is more, he vehemently attacked the traditions of the church. He said to the leaders of the church, In vain you worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They saw him not as a revivalist, but as a rebel. Also, Jesus attacked the hierarchy. Jesus called the hierarchy blind guides, blind leaders. He called them hypocrites, murderers, and whitewashed tombs. The very expression whitewashed tomb is odious. Because Jesus was saying, you're dead. And you cover yourself up with whitewash. He was not religious, my friend. And yet, as somebody said, 
It was heaven to be in his presence. And sinners loved to come and associate with him because he was not so stiff and starchy and pious that he repelled people. None could be touched by Jesus and remain the same. Anybody who met him was never the same again. He came to the world from another world with a message of hope, life, healing, and restoration, and forgiveness, and new beginnings. And today, I want to investigate with you and study with you three stories that he gave, and then I want you to notice three people that he touched. Would you please take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 15 in the Word of God. And I'm so glad to see so many Bibles being turned. Because in this church, we believe it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We believe that we are saved by coming to know Christ and by coming to know His Word. And we believe that the, the greatest gift that God has given is the Word of God in Jesus and in the Word you hold in your hands. The parable of the lost sheep. We're going to notice three parables or three stories. And then we're going to notice three people, three completely different people whom Jesus touched. Luke chapter 15 verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners, and sinners in inverted commas, you notice, because we're all sinners, but there are sinners and sinners. What does it mean when the Bible says there are sinners and sinners? Because we are all sinners. There are some sinners who are obviously sinners, and there are sinners who are only sinners inside, but they're the worst sinners. Now this is talking about the outs, outward sinners. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. He attracted them. Like bees come to the honey, they came to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now who were, thank you Stephen, now where is my book here? I want to read you a statement. Who were the Pharisees. And I'm going to read to you from a great church historian and a person whom I think is also a good theologian. I want to read you his section here, a little section here on the Pharisees. This is quoting the book which I recommend to everybody, The Pharisee's Guide to Perfect Holiness by George Knight. If you haven't got it, if you haven't read it, you ought to get it and read it through. It's an excellent book. The Pharisee's Guide to Perfect Holiness. Now, let me read you what, what he says about the Pharisees. Most Christians need to revise their picture of the Pharisees. They were not merely good men, they were the best of men. Not only were they morally upright, but they were desperately earnest in their search for God and in their protection of His holy name, law, and word. Then he lists a number of points that describes the Pharisees. So please get the context of the Pharisees and the sinners. Number one, first and foremost, they were lovers and protectors of the Bible as the Word of God. 
2. A second point for the Pharisee, for the Pharisees, was their love of and dedication to God's law. Uh, they loved the keeping of the Sabbath, and they developed 1,521 oral rules for the Sabbath alone let alone the rest of the commandments, but they had over 1,500 laws to tell you what you could do on the Sabbath, whether you could blow your nose. or, or No, they, they covered everything, Bob. They covered everything. And so they were strong Sabbath keepers. A third commendable aspect of Pharisaism was its missionary and evangelistic zeal. A fourth positive aspect of the Pharisees is that they were... Adventists. <laughs> Need to get rid of a man like George Knight. If he keeps putting out books like these, he'll have people thinking. A fourth positive aspect of the Pharisees is that they were Adventists. They looked forward with intense desire to the coming of the Messianic kingdom. They tied their Adventism to the faithful keeping of the law. Some of them believed that Messiah would come if the law were kept perfectly for one day. It's very uncomfortable. Could we be Pharisees? Not us. I mean the rest. Their lives were fully dedicated to bringing about that day through perfect holiness. The Pharisees first appear as an organized group in the second century BC during the Maccabean crisis. The separated ones, that's what it means, a Pharisee, adopted a lifestyle and a theological outlook that would preserve faithfulness to God so that Israel need not repeat his captivity. Thus, in their search for holiness, they separated themselves from the heathen and their customs, the sinners, from this worldly and compromising practices of the priestly Sadducees and from the careless ways of the common people. The Pharisees sought to pave the way for the coming of Christ through godly living. Their motivations were praiseworthy in every way. So here are the Pharisees. And the Pharisees couldn't understand Jesus. Because instead of rebuking the sinners, he attracted them. They swarmed around him and they said, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. And Jesus said, Right, right, right. And so in this chapter, as I have told you once before, Jesus told three riveting stories to indicate that on this occasion the Pharisees were right because it was his glory to receive sinners. Now, I want you to notice, thank you Stephen, the holder of the Bible. Verse 3, notice the three stories. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls together his neighbors and says, Rejoice with me. Let's have a party. Rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
Now, I understand who the sinner is, but who are these righteous persons that don't need to repent? Hmm? That stopped you. Who are the 99 just persons who don't need to repent? The Pharisees. Because they felt no need. They did not recognize that they were sinners. Lost. And so Jesus tells a story about the one lost sheep, the sinner, and he draws a picture of God who comes down and who goes through the wilderness with bleeding feet. And when he finds the one lost sheep, the Bible says he doesn't kick it, he kisses it. And he holds it to his heart and he carries it home. And when he gets it home, he says, let's have a party. Why was the sheep lost? Because of its own stupidity. It wandered away from the fold, but in spite of its stupidity, he loves it still. He loves it still. Notice the second story. The parable of the lost coin, please. The lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, get the vacuum cleaner going, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, who lost the coin, incidentally? Who lost the coin? Come, come, come. Who lost the coin? The lady lost the coin. Can a coin lose itself? Can a sheep lose itself? Yes. But the coin could not lose itself. Here is a person lost, not because of its stupidity, but because of the stupidity of somebody in the church. So this is not talking about a lost sheep. This is talking about a lost coin, and it is lost in the house of God. And so... The woman lights a candle and she searches diligently and she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of God over one sinner who repents. And the Pharisees look glummer and glummer, but the sinners rejoiced because this was telling them the heart of God. Let me tell you something. Jesus and the Pharisees in their theology, hello Paul, I never saw you here this morning. Welcome to church. Paul is one of the cameramen who is now being diverted from the work he's trying to do. Let me tell you folks something. The Pharisees and Jesus in their theology agreed on almost everything. They believed in the word of God. They believed in the message of the prophets. They believed in the message of the coming of the Messiah. They believed in the keeping of the law of God. They believed in the keeping of the Holy Lord's Day, which is the Sabbath. They believed in tithing. They believed in the doctrine of the remnant church. They believed in all of those great truths. But there was one thing that the Pharisees and Jesus did not agree on, and it was the doctrine of God's heart. How God sees people. And they taught 
that God was angry with the sinner and didn't want to have anything to do with the sinner. But Jesus, the rebel, said, this man loves sinners. And when the Pharisee said he loves sinners, Jesus didn't say, no, you're telling lies again, Mr. Pharisee. Jesus said, right. And I'm going to tell three stories to prove that on this occasion you are right. Now here is the third story that shows you the heart of God and how God operates and what God is really like, my friend. Jesus continued, there, were two, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me. That is the sin of human nature. Give me, give me, give me a handout. Give me some more. Father, give me my share of the estate. He didn't even want to wait until the old man was dead. He said, give me now. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country. There squandered his wealth in wild living. The King James Version says, in prodigal living, that means extravagant and wild and beyond. He spent his father's fortune and he spent his health, we're told. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Serves him right. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were giving, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy because your son. And he doesn't finish the speech about becoming a hired servant. But the father said to the servants, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. A ring on his finger? Mm -hmm. Put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. A fat one. High in calories. It's very difficult for me to read these words to you. <laughs> but I got to read it. Hmm. Bring the fatted calf and kill it because we only do this once in a lifetime. And the fat intake will be balanced out. No, it didn't say that either. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son, who was that? That's Mr. Pharisee. The older son was in the field. When he heard, came near the house, he heard music. Would you read that word? I don't like even to read it. He heard music. Thank you for the congregation, because now you're involved. He heard music and dancing. This was different sort of dancing, though. <laughs> wasn't the sort of dancing you're thinking it's very different dancing it's very unhappy dancing he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on your brother has come he replied and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has had him back safe and sound 
The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. That's the attitude of the Pharisee. It's not love, it's slavery. I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. So he thought, so he thought, so he thought. But not only was he self-righteous, he was deluded. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the vatted gar for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And that was the difference between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Pharisees. It wasn't so much theology, it was attitude. And when you think of this young guy, we should not be too sympathetic for him because he was a waster, he was a scoundrel, he, was he, he didn't have any grat uh, gratitude, he was ungrateful. He takes what his father has earned and he goes and wastes it in a short time and then he comes to himself. But when he comes home, the Bible tells us that the father was looking down the road because the father saw him coming. And the father runs to meet him. And over his filthy clothes, he puts a robe and he puts sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger and he says, let's have a party. And Jesus said, this is to teach every person here that there's hope for a prodigal. There's hope for a waster. There's hope for the sinner because the father is waiting with a big heart to say, come on in and we want you back safe and sound. So what is Jesus like? Well, Jesus is better than any of us can understand. The kindest, best person you've ever met in this lifetime is just a tiny, tiny little reflection of Jesus. Now, I'm going to talk about three different individuals and how these parables are somewhat illustrated in their lives. Three very different types of individuals. One, an outspoken fisherman. Secondly, a devil-possessed prostitute. And thirdly, a self-righteous, super-religious Pharisee. Now, you've guessed who the first person would be, the fisherman. Peter, whose name means a stone. I was reading a commentator last night and he said, Peter was impulsive. Whenever anybody said something that was inappropriate, it was Peter. Couldn't help himself. And yet he was wildly affectionate. On many occasions he had spiritual insight and yet he was slow to apprehend divine truth and he was full of courage. 
On one occasion, Jesus said to Peter, I say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That was the great confession Peter had made, you know. Jesus said to Peter, Who do you say that I am? Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said that right up in the north of Israel. And then Jesus said to him, On this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom to Peter and to the apostles. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Think of those words. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He said that to Peter as representing the church. Peter, like all of us, meant well. That is why there's something in Peter that appeals to our hearts. Because Peter was a sinner. And Peter meant well. He said, even though everybody denies you, I won't deny you. And when they came to take the Lord of glory on that Thursday night, Peter was the first one out with a sword to chop off a head but missed and chopped off an ear. Great expectations but small results instead of a head and ear. And then you read the story, and I want you to read it in Matthew 26 because it describes Peter at his worst moment. Matthew 26 and verse 69. Matthew 26 and verse 69. Peter, in his worst time. Matthew 26, verse 69. Then Peter, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. Now Jesus is being beaten up before the Sanhedrin, before the Pharisees. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. Now he's swearing. I do not know the man after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you, you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And we're told in the Gospel according to St. Luke, and it's a wonderful story, because Matthew doesn't put it in there, but you read it in the Gospel according to St. Luke. 
it says in the NIV that the Lord turned and looked directly at Peter. The Lord turned and looked directly into the face of Peter. And here was Jesus being beaten up by the, by the religious leaders, covered with blood, and Peter who was going to go to the gates of hell for his Lord because he had good intentions, now denies the Lord with cursing and swearing, and Luke says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered. And he went out and wept bitterly. I would say, Peter had become a lost sheep. Or a lost coin. Or a lost son. How did Jesus deal with Peter? Jesus sent a message to the angels. Did you know that? It's recorded in the Bible. That Jesus sent a message to the angels. He didn't give it to Peter directly. He sent a message to the angels. He must have contacted the, I don't know how he contacted, and when he contacted the angels. But the young men in white who were there at the tomb, the angels, they said, Go and tell his disciples and Peter that the Lord is going to see him in Galilee. Even though Peter had denied his Lord because of the weakness of the flesh and because of the taunts of a girl, he was not forsaken by Jesus. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, you know the story too later on, how Peter impulsively said, I'm going to go fishing, and the rest said, well, we may as well go with you. Nothing else seems to be working. And they went fishing and they worked all night and they caught nothing and there was a man standing on the shore. And he said, children, have you caught nothing? No, we haven't caught anything. Cast your net on the other side. They cast the net on the other side and then the nets were filled. And Peter said, it's the Lord and he strips off and he plunges into the water. And when he comes to the beach, Jesus has prepared some fish and some bread. And he says to Peter, come and have breakfast. <laughs> come and have breakfast. When Peter was an old man, tradition for what it's worth says that he was crucified in Rome. And it's probably true. And when they came to crucify Peter, Peter said, I am not worthy to be crucified as my Lord was crucified. He said, let me be nailed to the cross upside down. How does Jesus deal with people who give up and who make mistakes and who let things go and who lose everything in the spur of a moment? And even believers who under stress deny the Lord, he offers mercy and forgiveness and an invitation to have breakfast. What is he like? What is he like? What is our God like? What is our Christ like? 
The second character I want to talk about is Mary, the devil-possessed prostitute. Now, I want you to come to Luke 7, verse 36 and onwards. Luke 7, verse 36 and onwards. And I'm going to tell you just a little there of a theological problem we have. Luke chapter... Well, come back to verse 33. The Pharisee said, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. Oh, Jesus said, And you say he has a demon. He had a confrontation here with the Pharisees. And Jesus said, John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, let me tell you whom we think this lady was. From an historical viewpoint, if you go by the Bible and the Bible alone, it is not absolutely definite who she was. But if you read, don't bother turning it up now, but if you read the parallel passage in the Gospel of John, it says that the woman who anointed Jesus' feet was Mary. And that was the Mary who was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. There is some other evidence from the Bible, and, and you can't be absolutely dogmatic from a biblical viewpoint, but the evidence seems to indicate that this was the Mary who'd left home and who'd lived in the little town of Magdala. Now, there is the possibility that there were two different instances when Jesus had his feet anointed. This would mean that they were different Marys. But most commentators, including myself, seem to think that the weight of evidence points to the fact that there was only one occasion when Jesus had his feet washed with a woman's tears and wiped with her hair. And if that is so, then the woman was definitely Mary and most likely Mary Magdalene. If this woman was Mary Magdalene, she was a personality and three quarters because the Bible says that she was possessed by seven devils. Now the term seven is not to be taken literally because seven in the Bible means a complete number. She was as full of, full of the devil as you can imagine. And the Bible indicates not only was she filled with the forces of demons and the occult, and I believe that happens to people today. You hear what I'm saying? I believe that happens to people today. I believe that today people can become filled with evil demons. Are there any others? But filled with demons, evil angels. And Mary had somehow become entrapped in spiritism 
And she was a prostitute because when the Bible says she had been a great sinner in that town, it is referring to her moral character and indicates that she had sold her body not only to the devil, but to every man that she could find. And then she met Jesus. And you can't meet Jesus and be the same old person. And the Bible says that Jesus cast out the demons. And when she got to know Jesus, she became pure and clean. And she was redeemed. She stood next to the cross when Jesus was dying. And she was apparently first at the tomb on the Sunday morning when he was resurrected from the dead. Jesus had turned to her when the mist was on the ground and he had called her by name Mary. She said, Rabboni Master. This tells me there's hope for every person, for me. And so you get the picture. Here is the Pharisee. Cold, a moral iceberg. Frigid, stern-faced, pious, self-righteous, altogether religious. And here comes Mary, who had seven demons and more than seven men. And she lets down her hair. Which in many ways was an intimate thing to do. She lets down her hair. Another Bible commentator, one of the inspired commentators, either it's Luke or John or Mark, I don't remember, says that she spent on the perfume, you know how much she spent on it? More than a year's wages. So in America, for many people, 40000 50000 60000 $70,000, whatever it was, how she got it, I do not know, but she's put everything she had in that gift. <laughs> she was a giver, a sinful giver. And she poured it on the Lord of glory. And she let down her hair, and then this would have been embarrassing for any of us, but she got down on her knees and she kissed his feet. And then she wet his feet with her tears, then she took her hair and she wiped his feet. That was too much for the Pharisee. But Jesus redeemed Mary and she wanted the world to know. And Jesus said something about Mary which we will never forget. He said, he immortalized her. 
He said, where the gospel is preached, the story of this woman will be told. So we do not forget her today. The prostitute who let down her hair and kissed the feet of the Lord. What does that tell you about God? Now the third case I want you to notice today, she was a lost sheep, wasn't she? She was a lost coin, she was a lost daughter. But what about Simon? He was a lost church member. And he was the hardest to handle because he thought he was the most pious and he thought he didn't need redemption. And you can, you can read his story please. Would you notice that it's in the same chapter? And that's uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke 7, and verse 36. When the Pharisee, that's old Simon, who'd also been a leper, did you know that he'd been a leper and Jesus had healed him? He'd been a filthy leper and Jesus had healed him? When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Did you know that another inspired commentator tells us something very interesting about this? It tells us why Simon knew that she was a sinner. Mm -hmm. Simon knew Mary very well indeed. Simon knew Mary very well indeed in the biblical expression because Simon, the Pharisee, had slept with her. And so he knew all about her. And he said, if the Lord knew as much as I do, he wouldn't let her put down her hair. Jesus answered him. Now, did he say this to Jesus? Hey, aren't you folks listening? Verse 39 says he said it to himself. He said it to himself. He said it in his mind. But Jesus heard it. You may be saying something to yourself right here in this church, but Jesus hears everything you say. Hear that? He said it to himself. So be careful what you're saying to yourself. Boy, that's giving you a new perspective on life, isn't it? Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Can you get the picture? Here's the woman on her knees. She's got her hair down. The place is filled with the perfume of the spice. It's worth $40,000, $50,000, $60,000. Simon has been sleeping with her and he says to himself, if he only knew this woman, he wouldn't let her touch him. So Jesus says publicly, Simon, I have something to tell you before all these people. And Simon knows a report like this will get back to the church board quicker than anything. Because <laughs> most likely the church board is sitting there and Simon starts to tremble. What is the Lord going to say? Is he going to say... What were you doing last Saturday night at 10.30 down Shady Lane? <laughs> Simon, I have something to tell you. 
Tell me, teacher, he said, hoping that he won't. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. Now, this is in a Jewish congregation, and they understood this. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. He doesn't say, the one who is the biggest sinner. So just understand that. Because most people think that Mary was the person who was the biggest sinner. But she wasn't. Well, the one who had the biggest debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, You see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my body. Therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Who loved little? Simon. Why did he love little? Because his monstrous load of sin had only been dealt with in a very small way. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What happened to Simon? We know what happened to Mary. We know what happened to Peter. What happened to Simon? There is evidence that Simon was saved. There is evidence that the grace of God even could reach the heart of a church member. <laughs> There's evidence here in the Bible that God can not only save a prostitute and a hard-swearing fisherman, but the grace of God is so vast that God can even save people who go to church. Because generally, they're the worst of sinners. Jesus could have shown Simon up for what he was, but Jesus didn't show him up for what he was. He told a story that broke his heart, and Simon came to realize that he was the greatest debtor. And the same love that Jesus showed to the woman with the long hair, he showed to the Pharisee. Therefore, let me tell you, there's hope for all. There's hope for Peter and Mary and Simon and there's hope for me and there's hope for you. They all had one thing in common, these people. They saw their need. Do you see your need today? They saw their need. They confessed their need and they confessed their Christ and they opened their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and he came in and let me tell you this today. 
We're all lost sheep and we're all lost coins and we're all lost boys and girls. We're all Marys. We're all Simons. We're all Peters. And what the Master did for Peter, for Mary and for Simon, he can do for you if you let him. I say to you today, what a marvelous Christ is our Jesus.